Hello and welcome to the How Data Should Work podcast, a podcast series from Capgemini Canada that seeks to bring a practical, business-focused lens on the often complicated world of data and analytics. I am your host, Stephen Cron, Vice President and Head of Insights and Data at Capgemini Canada. And I have to tell you folks, I have been looking forward to this conversation for a couple weeks now. We are recording this podcast in the middle of Women's History Month, and this year's theme being embracing equity. And one topic that my guest and I are equally passionate about is the topic of diversity in data. So today we're going to discuss the importance of ensuring this field is inclusive and ultimately representative of groups that have not traditionally seen a lot of representation in the field of data and analytics. So today I'm delighted to welcome Cindy Kelly, Senior Director of Business Intelligence and Sales at Four Seasons Hotel Group. Cindy, welcome to the How Data Should Work podcast. And uh, please share a little bit about yourself. And and I'd love to get a sense of why are you passionate about data and why have you decided to make a career in data for yourself? Sure. Thank you, Stephen. I am so glad to be here. Um, My partner and I have six children sort of in the, you know, teens and early 20s zone. I've got five daughters in that group. So this is near and dear to me. It's it's great Mm. to be here to talk about it. Um, a little bit about me. Uh, yeah, I'm a senior director in IT at Four Seasons. I've got two pillars or two teams, if you will. So I've got one of them pointed at global sales platforms. So we do all their projects and all their support of that portfolio. Uh, that, of course, crosses into the data space. And yes. then I lead Enterprise BI. So I've got uh, both build and run on that side, everything from financial program management and vendor management to mm-hmm. you know building our capabilities and our teams. And then, of course, dealing with our stakeholders to make their dreams come true. So it's an exciting time at Four Seasons right now. I don't know if anyone's noticed. And uh, that goes beyond White Lotus. Everybody's super excited about White Lotus um, and showcasing Absolutely. some of the properties there. But uh, it's extraordinary with some of what's going on internally. Uh, I know there's a lot of White Lotus fans that we have at Capgemini. And I know a, cu- a couple of them will be uh, tapping me on the shoulder. But I don't ask you, Cindy, which one of your hotel properties is that actually kind of filmed out of or based out of? Um, the first season was filmed out of Hawaii. Um, we've got ah. several properties there. And then the second season is filmed out of our hotel in Tormina in Italy. And thank you for for joining me on this conversation around diversity in data. Um, you know, this is something that you and I, you know, had a chance to previously chat about a little bit. And I know we share this sort of, you know, mutual uh, affinity and mutual affection for it. And uh, one of the things that to kind of set the stage that I recently discovered that just completely blew me away, Cindy, I, you know, I had our, our recruiting team here at Capgemini go in and do a little bit of, of research around, help me understand what the, the makeup in terms of the gender diversity of data professionals uh, look like today. And you know, we had some global statistics originally around um, uh, global studies that have been done and said, you know, typically in the field of, for example, data, data science, you know, women typically make up somewhere in the neighborhood of 15, 20, maybe 22%. And so I wanted to get a sense of, no, it, it can't be that low in Canada. Is it that low? And so they've gone back. They did some research. They looked at certainly some of the stats can data. They looked at some just some data that we extracted across um, uh, media platforms like social media platforms like LinkedIn. And it came out to roughly around 25% of uh, data professionals in this country are women. And I was I was astonished. I didn't realize it was it was uh, that low. I thought it was you know 35, 40% or something of that nature. And to see that number very kind of stark in front of my face just absolutely blew me away. And it crystallized for me that there's a lot of work left here for us to do. 
And there's a lot of um, barriers that perhaps that we, you know haven't been tackled in a meaningful way that we need to look at coming up with some tangible, you know, some some you know new sort of thinking and new solutions for. And I wanted to get a sense of you know what's your reflection on that number on that number of 25% is reflective of your own experience. And what are some of maybe some of the things that you've seen over your, your career in terms of those roadblocks that maybe aren't you know, getting the, the media attention, the headlines, if you will, but some things that, you know, fundamentally impact, you know, where we are today in terms of the representation of women in this field. Sure, sure. I mean, I think this is one of those things that we all talk about, and it's a mile wide, and it's hard yes. for us to find a piece of it that we can affect in a meaningful way. Yes. Um, the first thing I think we all have to acknowledge is that, I mean, we we all as human beings kind of go out and try to find our shortcuts and our we're always patterning and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. So as we look to what has worked for us in the past, if we've got lots of of non-diversity in the tech space, as we try to replicate success or without even thinking in its nicest form, we're going to go hire more people that look like the ones who have done well for us. Mm -hmm. and, and that's everywhere. If I've had a rock star that followed a certain template, I'm going to go look for more of those. And maybe, yes. maybe even as nice as I am, that has created a bias. So mm -hmm. I... As I go out to my hiring, um, th there's some great books around this too, but I try to be very intentional about my hiring. Yes. I, I, um, you know, I try to hire against myself, if you will. I try to make mm. sure my candidates meet a diversity of people in my team yes. so that they, they feel that they can see someone who might look like them and they can identify with. And so yes. we're attractive, frankly, as an employer. Right. Because some candidates won't won't go if they don't feel they're going to fit in there or if they can Absolutely. succeed there. And I also avoid panels, if you will. I personally don't like a panel. Some people love panel interviews. They think, you know, as an employer, it gives you a best chance. Right. I think those create a little bit of bias as well, because, you know, someone's typing to the other person going, oh, they're not smiling very much, or seems bossy to me, or, or whatever the case. So yes. I think it's really important to get independent perspective and then challenge yourself to hire, you know, differently than everything that you've hired before and other people's mindsets about that. Yes. Yeah, so absolutely. Th those are a couple of examples. But I, I think another thing that happens, too, is, I mean, everybody talks about lack of role models. Yes. But, it, you know, for even if you're fixing your hiring situation at the intake, yes. lots of organizations say they're hiring with more diversity. Th this isn't just women. It's it's yes. other, you know, underrepresented groups as well. You tend to see that fall off higher up in the range. We, we need role models for success yes. so that people can see that they can get there and achieve. And so that our lenses yes. have, have different views of what success looks like. Power and success Absolutely. can move and walk and talk and solve in different yeah. ways. Yeah. You know, the, the piece around role modeling is, is so important. And uh, one of the things that I always describe, because, you know, when I'm meeting with, with um, new grads coming out of school or talking to individuals that are young professionals in their career, the one thing I always highlight is, you know, the person that I am today is really reflective of of this, uh, what I call my my personal Mount Rushmore of in leaders that I've had a chance to work with throughout my career. And they really have, you know, shaped and guide me to where I am today. The interesting thing when I reflected on one day, one day is, you know, of those uh, of those people on that personal Mount Rushmore, those four individuals, three of them are women. And oh, interesting. Yeah, three of them are women, and I had the opportunity at their names like Bev, Bev, and and Katie and Patricia, and um, you know these are individuals that really um, shaped what I thought about in terms of not only technology but the you know applicability of technology and data 
to business, to drive value, how to humanize data, how to humanize technology. A lot of that thinking that I have today is shaped by those individuals and being able to work very closely with them as I was very kind of formative in my career. And I absolutely attribute much of my, my own personal success and who I am as a leader in this field of technology and data to those individuals that you know guided me along the way. When yeah. you think about the, the people that have impacted your career, which has been a very successful career as well, it, is that there that diversity of role modeling? Were you fortunate enough to find somebody that you know you you found to be a, a sort of an aspirational leader early on in your career that really was able to kind of guide and mentor you to get to you to the level of success that you've had? Really wanted to get a sense of how how's that sort of shaped for yourself? I, I completely agree with you. And I if you think about pivot points in your life, mm-hmm. uh, there was a time early in my career where you know we we used to intentionally develop people in those days, and you'd pick them out and move them through different roles. Right. I, I I got the opportunity to work with a senior female leader, and we were dealing with a very uh, emotional situation where we were about to change a sales coverage model, like really mm. radically change the way an entire organization did their jobs. Mm. And it was through this individual, she role modeled how we use data and frameworks and very, you know, unemotional ways to solve these problems and and have people stare at the facts. And I think that was very empowering to me. It yes. it showed me new ways of doing things and solving things and and places to put where where my interests were. If you yeah. Know. And I still Absolutely. lean on things that she showed me today. So I, yeah, I completely absolutely. agree with that. We need uh, to do that's more fantastic. of that. That's fantastic. So yeah, you know, diversity of role modeling is so important in terms of how it shapes our own thinking. And one of the things I just picked up from you and when you talked about what's happening at Four Seasons today, there is an, an in, intention to really make sure that we're inclusive uh, and you're looking at a diversity of, of experiences, diversity of backgrounds of the talent that you're bringing into the organization. We're very much on parallel tracks here at, you know, in terms of Capgemini and I, I had a question from one of my uh, young professionals one day around why are we making this, you know, a priority? Why are we making this uh, an important pillar for ourselves and our business? And I said to them, it was, it was very, very simple to me. When, in my own experiences, the teams that I've been part of that have been diverse and that have had a broader range of experiences and, and professionals in those teams, they come up with solutions to problems that are, are to me, like, tangibly better. Tangibly better. It's not the same sort of tried and and sort of tested way of of approaching a problem, but there's a you know a new perspective, a new solution that can be brought forward. And I always um, thought about that in terms of what I saw in my career um, coming up in this field, and what we are liking looking to instill in our business is I absolutely want our teams to have a diversity of thought and diversity of of thinking through challenges when they when they come. And the more inclusive our teams are, the more diverse they are in terms of gender as well the better problem solving that we do. And I'm curious as to see if that that resonates with you and that's, is that reflective of what you've seen at Four Seasons as well? Well, 100%. I mean, homogenous teams are going to come up with homogenous solutions, mm-hmm. right? That That's what you're going to get. So in terms yes. of, you know, there's a burning platform for all of us. Of course, we want to be in- inclusive for as pure yeah. sense. From a competitive sense as well, to get to the the best innovations and the best solutions, we, we need diversity of thinking and membership. Yes. So, couldn't agree with you more. And then to be able to advance ideas and people who are a little disruptive in that way. We, we will yes. otherwise miss massive market opportunities. Yes, absolutely. I 100% agree with you. So now we've sort of set the stage a little bit around where we are today and some of those, those gaps that we need to cross. 
let's let's look at how do we you know uh, you know what are the sort of key gaps to to bridge and and how potentially we can potentially do that give some ideas for folks listening to the the this conversation around you know t steps that they can take in the organization ideas they could they can try um, i know for your example you have you have five daughters and uh, you mentioned to me in the past that we we're trying to get a couple of those individuals at least into the field of, of engineering and data i have a, an eight-year-old daughter myself and she's been, um, you know, she's been learning how to like program her own video game since she was four or five years old. And she's told me already, like, Dad, when I become a grown up, I'm going to have my own game studio and I'm going to to run it. She's already fixated on what she wants to do. And so th great. this is, you know, very personal for for us. And and I wanted to get a sense from from you around, you know, does the 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 fact that it's personal change your perspective around the gaps that exist today and and the thinking around what we can do to uh, you know, address those gaps. Uh, you know, of course, it's personal. Um, mm -hmm. at, at the same token, I very much enjoy what I do. I'm very passionate, excited about it. So it's it's at work and it's personal too, so to speak. Yes. I, I, at, for as much time as we spend at work every week, it, yes. it needs to feed you in all those ways. Yes. Uh, but in in terms of what we can do, I tell you, my my girls have been very informative to me, and I'll get to that in a second. But uh, you know, right now, immediately, I, I was listening to even a. A recording that was done of a, a session that was held at Four Seasons as recently as a week ago, and they had some of our senior female leaders there. Mm. And we were talking about improving our diversity, you know, for women in underrepresented areas. And one of them said, exactly your earlier point, we need to be the wind in someone's back. It, it mm -hmm. behooves each and every one of us as a leader to help people with that, you know, to spot yes. their potential and to improve. You can reach out and touch someone in so many ways and and, yes. and change things for them and help pave it out. And they have to earn the right too, but I think we should we should challenge ourselves to go yes. do that. And I, my young leaders will tell you I take a very active role in their career development. That's that's my responsibility. Yes. Um. I, I also think um it behooves us to do that because if if we don't, that talent is going to self deselect and go apply their skills to other departments and other verticals. Yeah. So it's a retention strategy as well. I fundamentally um, agree with you. Uh, we talked about being intentional about our hiring. Um, I go so far as to, you know, when I talk to my recruiters to say, I invite you to bring me, you know, diversity in my candidates. Yeah. Not just that I'm open to it, but I invite you because I know, like, you've yes. got to be super purposeful about your language. Yes. Um, and, and I, I've, I did a bunch of volunteering as well when my kids were in the school system. And now that we've, you know, we're in a different place right now, I'm going to go back to that. But I think we've got to find a way to reach back into our communities and help with the language. Mm -hmm. I, I don't think there's kids in, in junior school or middle school or high school that are saying, I love data. Yeah. I, I think we need to change it to, do you enjoy problem solving? Can you assemble yeah. on multiple layers, like give them new language and, and paint out these careers for them? Yes. Um, and I've approached several schools in the East End to say, I'd be willing to do that and come on in and help you know foster. I've got daughters in high school right now. Mm -hmm. It occurred to me they didn't know what I do, Stephen. Mm. So I, they don't understand these career opportunities in front of them. And if they right. don't, as they enter university, how can we expect them to show up there? Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, they need know, to see that that sort of uh, example, right, of, of, uh, of, of somebody who's doing it and succeeding in their career and showing an example of, hey, there's, there's a, a pathway for me there as well, right? It's that, that North Star, that role model, call it what you will, but that representation, that visual representation matters so much. Yeah, and I, I do have a daughter going into engineering in the fall, and she, mm -hmm. she really enjoys problem solving and the challenge and the, you know, the numbers and that sort of thing. Yes. But she said, stop telling us that girls should be more into STEM. 
She said, show mm. us other ways to connect to this because she said, we're yes. all just tired of that language. So I think that's that's super important to us, right? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Very, very interesting. Well, you you know, you touched on a couple things there. One is certainly around you know, the recruiting of, of talent in the organization. The the world of uh, of you know data analytics technology and and sort of the the in demand skills when you narrow that world down to to Canada it is a a, a relatively small talent pool right yeah and yeah. Um, that talent pool needs to certainly become more diverse but I think one of the things that organizations like ours can do is really make sure that's an intent right so I, I've said to my my own recruiting team. You know, if we're going to to recruit for this type of role, a data engineer or data architect or data scientist, you know, out of the the slate of individuals that you bring back to me, I want to make sure like X percentage are coming from, you know, typically underrepresented groups, women and other underrepresented groups as well. So you know, we've made that a, a KPI for ourselves to say, as we're looking at acquiring new um, talent individuals and in organization, are we casting a wide net? and actually bringing in a diverse pool of individuals com coming forward. And I'll tell you, you know, initially, when we made that adjustment to our recruiting engine and our recruiting process, it was very, very difficult, right? <laughs> because we, we've asked people to essentially step out of their comfort zone and not go to the same two or three sources for talent that they've traditionally have gone to and try these other sources. So it caused a lot of, of uh, potentially slowdown in our processes, certainly. But one of the things that I've I've sort of remarked on now, having done this for about a year, they, this you know the slate of candidates that are coming to me now are are tremendously diverse, like different experiences, different backgrounds, sure. different geographies in Canada as well. And one of the things that I, we've been able to uncover is some some hidden untapped gems, like really talented individuals who really haven't just been given the opportunity to put their step you know foot forward or raise their hand for this opportunity. And you know they have all of the makings of somebody who is going to have a, a long and successful career in this field, but we're just not given you know that opportunity. So when I hear about what you've done at Four Seasons around, have you seen a shift over the last little while in terms of the diversity of of candidates coming forward for those positions? Yeah, that's a great question. There's a couple of questions in there right. actually. So I've done uh, quite a bit of hiring over the last twelve to eighteen months. Yeah. There is an interesting mix across. I do find that it takes a little extra work to position yeah. some of the candidates that might look a little bit different. Because again, mm. we all go back to the what has worked for us before. Absolutely. Part of my tacit contract with those individuals, or at least I take it on myself, is I'm here to help make them successful as well. So mm. I'm, I, it does take a little bit of extra work. They may not look like their predecessor or their teammates sitting next to them. They do, however, bring fresh new skills and a whole new approach and something that we desperately need. So, yes. you know, that is a journey. It does not flip overnight. Yes. Um, and and we, we need to work in the longer view, I think, on that, because a little bit begets a little bit begets a lot. Absolutely. And it, it, it doesn't stop when we bring them in. We then need to continue sort of the yes. upward motion, if you will. So that that is a long term investment. I but, agree. You know, even at the beginning, I, yeah. I think people are very open to it and it's refreshing. Yes, you know, it's a little absolutely. uncomfortable for people and then it's refreshing. So absolutely. that's the part you need to get to. I agree. I agree. So you just touched on the other part of this kind of talent management journey. You know, it's really much around what do we do to, to develop people, to retain, to help them advance. I think when from my own reflections being in this industry for a while, there's both formal and informal things that are are helpful. Right. There's formal programs 
that an organization can develop, like um, leadership development programs for, for young professionals, young women in this field, absolutely a tremendous value add. Um, and there's other programs related to honing kind of technical skills or helping people upskill into um, new technologies that are that are emerging, that are trying to ta- starting to take uh, a foothold in the market and, and in the work, you know, the field that we operate in, Cindy, you know, technologies continue to evolve and that po- and ability to upskill and make sure the um, the opportunity to upskill is equitable in the organization, is, I think, is, is key. But I think there's also an informal side in terms of, you know, steps organizations can take to help with, you know, the, the development of talent, the retention of talent. And this is something that was really crystallized for, for me personally as a leader when, um, uh, you know, a couple of years ago, I had a, an individual that was a very high potential um, uh, young professional woman in my, my, my team. Uh, she's probably just about four or five years out of, out of university. And she was very ambitious. He said to me, you know, Stephen, by the next seven years, I want to be a vice president in our business. And I, and I loved it. I loved that yeah, ambition. Yeah, yeah. And she said, but, you know, I'm struggling to get there. And the reason the struggle was, was actually something that I didn't have visibility into initially, which was the, the dynamics of her, of her personal life and her, and her home situation. And we were talking about that. And, she's, and I asked her, well, given that this is happening for you, what is the thing that I can do to help? To kind of offset, to counter some of those challenges that you might face on a personal side. And she said to me, it was a very, very simple thing. She said, flexibility. I just 100%. need flexibility in terms of how you know, I can you know, deliver on our projects and deliver on these mandates. And if I have that flexibility, you know, it gives me what I need to be able to balance off some of the things that aren't exactly where I'd like them to be on the, on the personal side. So flexibility is something that I think is going to be applied both formally and informally. And I was just curious around your experiences with that, around, you know, some of those informal things that you think an organization can do that maybe you've done yourself personally to really um, help with this retention, with the advancement of young women in our field. Sure, sure. Uh, the first thing I try to do is be very open and vulnerable with my employees. They need to know mm-hmm. I have children too, so that I can relate, or yes. and that I also have senior parents, frankly. Yes. So, you know, because those are the things that everybody has in the background that they sometimes think their their one up or whatever won't understand. So yes. I, I try to be vulnerable in that respect. Mm. I think COVID has given all of us certainly many challenges, but now coming out of it, new opportunities. We've learned to be more flexible. Let's not right. lose some of that. Yes. So hybrid. Hybrid has has made it so much easier for some of our employees to be present for their families a couple of days yes. a week instead of, you know, th- that was so important. Or maybe core hours so they can come yeah. in a little later and and make a daycare drop off or make a pickup. Yes. I've had people say to me, thankfully, we're still doing this because it has made all of this work for them, if you will. Yes. I also think as leaders, we have to trust our good people trust them to be there so they can be there for the kindergarten pageant or to be there for whatever is important to their high schooler at four o'clock. People will figure that out. Your best people will figure that out. They don't need us to tell them. Yes. Yeah. Those kinds of things go so far. Uh, And I especially think in a world where you're talking about women, they, they, for whatever it is that we're talking about, carry so much of the air traffic control in their homes. Absolutely. Flexibility is the response to that. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. that's, That's going to help. Um, flexibility is the response to that. I love that. I think it really summarizes it well. It's a, it's not a, a significant investment of capital. It is really a, a mindset shift. And that mindset around how flexibility actually enables better outcomes, right, is something that I think, if, if nothing else, people can take away from a, a conversation like this. Well, these um, are the just, kind of things that I think people describe in programmatic yeah. ways, and yet you give right. a little and you get so much back. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. I agree with you. So Cindy, you know, I have talked a little bit about things that businesses can do, things that organizations can do. I think there's also a, a, a spotlight that can be put on individuals like you and I. There's things that we can do probably personally to help with this, you know, bridging of the gap, to help with um, advancing uh, women in, in this field as well. And you uh, early on talked about a couple of things that I'd love to, for you to kind of come back to. Sure. Because when, I, when we look at things like, you know, promoting, um, promoting the field of data or of AI to young women and, and mentorship, a lot of that, you know, carries a lot of weight and makes such an impact. And I'm just curious from your own experiences, you know, what are those things that you've been able to, um, you know, put out there and, and make available personally that uh, you have found to have a, a great return? Maybe not necessarily a return for you as an individual, but a return for those that you're, you know, you're communicating with, with mentoring with. And I'd love to get a sense of what's worked well for you in the past. Well, I will tell you that in a world of very intense data deliveries, and we all know yes. what those compressed timelines and deliverables look like, Yes. this kind of work is some of the extra rewarding stuff that you find time to squeeze in, and you, mm. I want to do more of it, if you will. I'm at this point yes. in my career where it, it, I'm super inspired by people like Ginny Rometty. I, I don't know if you've seen her new book out, but she's the former CEO and chairman of yes. IBM. Right. She's now right. all about, you know, finding um, and developing alternative talent pools and and giving back and, and doing some really innovative things there. So, yes, I, I, too, am starting to, you know, now as our children are all getting a little older, do more of that and, yes. and finding it very rewarding. But um, I, I think it's not obvious to me. I didn't come through school thinking that I wanted to work in IT and data. Mm-hmm. I, so giving people language and lenses to careers they didn't know existed and and how they can connect to them, I, I think we yes. can all do a better job of that. Yeah. You don't have to go change the world, just go change a little bit at a time. Yes. Um, I also yeah. find there are women in our internal organizations who could be in other departments. They could be in other roles. We're constantly needing to, you know, to keep people and to help them see their career growth and their opportunity in our organizations. Yes. yes. Uh, there was one thing that we did a year or two ago and I got on the elevator and someone said, oh, you're the girl in IT. And I hmm. thought that was so funny. Hmm. And, and it was important for them to see the women in IT and she engaged and she said, I didn't know what you did before. And I I didn't realize the change this was making. So now, of right. course, that just jazzes you up to do more of that so that people can see themselves in your role and in your shop and wanting to work with you. Yes, that's interesting. It's really interesting where you, what you've shared with me is it's that that visibility and being intentionally visible and out there to yeah. say, hey, I'm proud yeah. of what I am and I'm proud yeah. of this industry that I'm in and the, the work that I that I lead. That carries a lot of, of impact, right? Because you're not uh, shying away in any way from um, representing who you are. And it's that representation that's highly visible that makes it like attractive and I think is pulling people into your sphere as well. Um, and that goes back to, you know, what you've said earlier related to some of the mentorship that you've offered at the high school level as well. And that's actually one of the questions that I wanted to follow up with you on is when I think about where, you know, where do we need to focus some of that messaging as women develop in terms of stri- starting to think through the careers that they want to have and the fields that they want to get into? I always have thought to myself, like, you know, if, if I make it my, uh, if, if we target some of that energy and effort at um, the the high school level, you know, the individuals that are in in the junior senior years of high school, is is that the right focal point, or are we potentially um, have we potentially even lost some of our our young women by that point, and do we need to get down to the junior high school level or whatever it may be? 
And I've thought through it and I've studied and read a variety of different things. And I don't think there's a conclusive answer out there. I think the 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 perception that I have is it's yes to everything because any and all um, visible kind of representation, any and all um, efforts to to mentor and to guide and to provide a new language is impactful at the end of the day. But I wanted to get your take on that as, as somebody who's done this for many, many years now in terms of that mentorship and being highly visible in the field. Is that your own takeaway? Or have you found that there are some cohorts or populations that typically respond more uh, more effectively and, and uh, get more value out of the time that you're investing and the time that you're putting forward? Yeah, no, absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more. I think um, you've probably got lots of listeners who are avid sports fans. If yeah. people want to talk about developing hockey teams, you got to go right back to your feeder markets. Like you got to go down, like way down low and start there. And it happens yes. over time. So if if you and I look at the change in percentage participation, you know, from 15 to 18 to 20 percent, it's taken us yes. decades to get that far. Yes. I, I also think a little bit like Malcolm Gladwell's tipping point, there's there's going to come a point where the one percent and the one percent change starts to add up to a whole lot more. Yes. We just got to start affecting the one and the one and the one. Kind yes. Of thing. Yes, but but absolutely. I agree with you. By the time you get to high school, many have already not connected and they just don't see themselves there. Yes. So we've somehow got to get deeper now. I'm not sure you and I can also go change the entire school board system. So, <laughs> you know, for those of us that can find ways to reach into our communities, we're all part of yeah. alumni associations. Mm -hmm. it, it, they're always looking for people to come. If we can help give people a vision of, again, I'll go back to I've. Yeah. My partner and I have four in university right now. So that's that's a whole funny skit in and of itself. <laughs> but going back and giving them here are careers in data. Here are careers in engineering. And by the way, they're not all engineers. So mm -hmm. I'll take you to my second point. Let's go back to massive talent and resource constraints. And that is not getting any better. I would challenge us. We, we have constrained ideas as to what our talent pool looks like. Mm -hmm. Let's go into alternate segments and find people who have you know, maybe it's finance or analytics or people who are comfortable problem solving, people who are comfortable managing numbers and who who can see them visually and, yes. and find ways to look for skills and not certain degrees, if you mm. will, and, and find ways to short path them into these careers. Because with training, yeah. they get it. They, yeah. they get it. Well, what, you, what you've just said is, is fairly radical as well, right? I mean, there's a tendency to just focus on, hey, I got these numbers uh, of skills that I'm looking for in an individual, and I need somebody who can just tick those boxes, right? And the 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 intentional focus to say, no, like shift the, the spotlight elsewhere, look for this type of profile where we know from our history, they're, they're transferable skills. Yeah. That's a, you know, it's a longer in endeavor to do, right? It's a, it's a, a different approach as well. But I think what you're saying is we're getting to the point where if we don't make a radical step like that and cast a very wide net and look into sources of talent and town pools that we traditionally would have just excluded, we're never going to reach that uh, that that intentional outcome that we're working on. That, that we're never going to get to that point where, you know, 50 percent of the of the people that work in uh, in the world of data and the world of technology are women. Yeah, I think if we're looking at Canadian leaders right now and yeah. anyone who's working in the tech or the consulting space, you and I are not going to solve this problem one way. No. We're going to have to solve this more than one way. Yes. And why why not? You know, absolutely let's help diversity. Let's go find the diversity where it is. Yes. And it's it's not going to be just one way out with let's yeah. make it up but engineering degrees and two masters in management analytics. Yeah. Those kinds of things. Absolutely. And so by the way, I 
I'm talking about sea change. I have this burning platform. I can't get enough resource and enough talent. So I'm forced to come up with alternate things. So we, we all need to make this work. The, the second thing is I think I don't I don't think people know enough about what we do. They're not coached or taught anywhere in high school or university. So how do we yes. get this sort of figurative or virtual roadshow going so that they can see themselves and have places to connect? And then what would that look like? If you like problem solving and you happen to be good at these types of topics, this could be a great fit for you. Absolutely. And so these people that are good at consolidating and encapsulating and finding yeah. the thread line through things, what that shows up early. That shows up in various other yeah. things. So I think that's the thing that we somehow need to foster and grow out over time. Yeah. And I would add to that, Cindy, that from my view, a lot of the fields that are related to technology, related to data, where you think, for example, about financial analysis, right? Or even if you think about things like um, uh, managing, uh, uh, you know, operational processes, a lot of those fields are now being influenced by technology, right? You are now being handed tools that are technology tools, data tools, AI tools to help facilitate and execute on, on your work. And I think oftentimes people operating those fields um, don't step back for a minute and think through, hey, I'm using AI, I'm using data already in my, my, my day job. It's not actually a step too far for me to be the one who actually puts together that tool or puts together that data model a financial analyst would use, right? And so it's just a, a different sort of mind shift around, hey, go from the person you know using you know that tool that's been provided to you to the person that helps build that product that builds that data product that solution and it's uh it's a mindset shift that i think we just need to get out there and encourage and i build on that for a second and you can please. say yes or no please you and i talked once upon a time about moving into multi-cloud environments moving yes. from data at the center into mesh and how we support yes. the mesh as you and i think about how fast we can implement that that means that I've got to have people that know their data and who would want to do exactly what you just described. That's how you and I are going to scale and grow yeah. and implement faster. Uh, absolutely. I, I'm looking for fast learners. I'm yep. looking for people who can assemble and and who can, because the institutional knowledge I have to teach everyone. Yep. And frankly, I'm not sure you actually do need an entire BEng or, or other mm -hmm. degree to be able to figure out how to be a data engineer. I can teach mm -hmm. you some of this stuff. Yeah. It's absolutely true. I mean, it's, it's incredible what can be taught on the job. It's also incredible that what you can learn now online through all the different uh, educational, you know, yes. uh, you know, ed tech providers that are out there, right? It's, it's truly astonishing. And so I think, you know, closing this question off, there's a new way that's emerging just due to the advancements of technology around how to enact and build, you know, technology, data, digital um, centric products and solutions. And that new way is really an inclusive way that brings together a mix of individuals, product individuals, design individuals, engineers, and developers. And I think that new paradigm of execution can only help this, provided that it is also the intention and that you as business leaders, when you go out and put this model of, of operating together to say, hey, we're doing this to create very inclusive teams and diverse products that can serve our customers better, but hey, we're also doing this to widen your aperture around where you can go in terms of your own career and your own field, right? And I think we just need to make that a focal point. Yep, 
Absolutely. Yeah. This talks to, remember I had said, you know, trying to find candidates who can do these jobs that aren't necessarily in your department today. They could be elsewhere yeah. in your organization and keeping keeping them because you're growing them and they've got more success now in your company. And I think, you know, one of the things that I think this is a topic that has been talked about for, for probably decades, right? But when I look at where we are today as a society, that we're going through this significant socio-technology change as we look at AI really starting to take root in, in what we do both professionally and, and personally. We know we, we've seen all of the uh, the attention Chappie GPT has been, been getting in the market recently as well. And, and there's been a lot of uh, thought around commercial applications of, of technologies like that. If we don't address this problem today and address this gap today, we're going to get to outcomes with you know uh, advanced capabilities like an AI that aren't you know going to lead to inclusive predictive models or inclusive recommendation engines. They're going to become more narrow and more narrow and more narrow. And if we don't address this gap, if we look ahead maybe 10, 15 years from today, we're going to see the fundamental flaws of of not addressing the gap really impact not at what we only what we do professionally, but also personally. Because uh, you know it's it's one where it's that point where we're reaching that sort of level of maturity of our AI capability. Do you feel like we're getting at a point where there is that inflection point as I described it? and and what would your your own personal reflections be on that? It's so interesting that you mentioned this literally. I was talking with someone about it this weekend. We were um, at Western uh, for mm. a graduation event, and we we got into this whole AI topic, and several of the yes. students were super excited about it. But you're right. if if you look at data, like in the world of AI, we use, what, 80% of our data to train the model and 20% yes. to test it. If your data yeah. is not inclusive, then you're going, you're, you're predictively going to end up in, a, in the wrong place as right. a result of your model. So if your teams are not diverse, you are blind to your own bias. You may not yes. even realize it's there. Yes. And, and that's such a disadvantage for so many reasons. So yes, if any of your listeners are out in the AI space right now, I think it behooves you to go out and figure this out and make sure you've yeah. got diversity represented. Yep. Or you, you, your compass will take you the wrong way and you won't realize it. Yep. Your AI is, your, your data, because of its gaps and biases, yep. will also create more of the same. Diversity on your teams is going to get you to applying your AI in places where you're going to get solutions that represent your market, or you're going to miss the opportunities to those who figure this mm -hmm. out. That is very we're we're well in the said. hospitality business. And and we all know who's driving some of these decisions. And there's diversity of of all aspects across those. So absolutely, it's super important to us uh, yeah. to be able to channel into that. Absolutely, it's it's I heart completely agree with you. That diversity of thought, that diversity of putting a solution and applying AI into an area that uh, uh, you know maybe a stereotypical uh, data scientist may not have looked to apply it. I think these are, um, you know, intangible outcomes that will lead to tangible benefits for businesses, you know, if that intention is there, right? So wholeheartedly agree with you. Wholeheartedly agree yeah, with you. and we all have wizard people working in our yeah. shops that know how to mechanically work with AI and ML. They, they, they may not be aware of their own biases or what mm -hmm. the data that was given to them has inherent in it. And if someone is not asking those questions, you need to go find someone who will. Absolutely, absolutely. So Cindy, we've covered a lot of ground, um, but there's one final question that I wanted to give you the opportunity to kind of to close with. If there is a, a young professional, a young woman listening to this, this conversation, and they had a, a bit of uh, trepidation of moving into this field of data, into the real field of you know, analytics, AI, whatever it may be, and they're coming from this you know, historically un underrepresented group, 
Do you have any sort of parting advice and closing advice for them around what they can do, steps they can take to to actually put a, a two feet forward and step into this wheel, uh, this world of data and analytics, into this field, and uh, to to start them on a path towards success in this area? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think all of us, you and I started this, let's go full circle back to find yeah. a mentor, find a coach, find someone who's done it that you can connect with. So in those moments of great personal doubt, you've got someone yes. to help carry you through. I would say, go look at LinkedIn, look at the the profiles of the people who have gone before you and the kinds of work that they've done and figure out how you can add some of that to your CV, if you mm-hmm. will. That That is the formula. There's no There's no short path to it. I also think the technology is changing so radically. Yes. There is no shortage right now of um, application software that will help you do this yeah. or data that all this. Yes. What we really need are people who can, you know, throw their hat in the ring and who can figure out how to assemble all of this. And that's a whole new skill set that I think is different than what people thought of. Yes. So consider yourself for some of these roles. They're not as stereotypical as you might think. Mm-hmm. And reach out to those of us that are in the field and Again, I don't have silver bullets. It is a path, but figure out how you can insert yourself into that. The, yeah. the, the merry-go-round is going. Get on. Merry-go-round there's, is there's going. There's so much. We're all hiring. Everyone Absolutely. is hiring. Right? Absolutely. The merry-go-round is going. Get on. And it's a very. it can be a very lucrative merry-go-round, right? And we want to make sure people, an inclusive group of people, can benefit from that as well, right? Yeah. So that's tremendous. So, so Cindy, thank you so much. I... I I think I've, I've, I've jotted down a couple notes myself from things that I'm going to take away. And one of the things that I'm going to take away is really making sure that as we look at talent, we're looking in places that we traditionally may not have looked at and looking at a skill set that we can take the time to to upskill and invest in bringing on that uh, that different type of profile into our business. I think that was a tremendous piece of insight. I, I really enjoyed the conversation today. It has energized me to go out there and make some, some changes and make some impact immediately as possible. And I can't thank you for enough for joining us on the, the How Data Should Work podcast. Thank you so much. And uh, we really did value your time today. Thanks for having me. I think it's a terrific topic. Let's come back in a year and see how we've done. You got it. And I hope you also tune in next time where we have another very unique, very thought-provoking guest lined up where we're going to be discussing some of their latest and greatest advancements in the field of data and analytics. Tune in next time. Thank you for joining us. Bye for now.